Mr. Gaunt was pissed. Though the captain's demeanor was calm, Jim could see the burning rage in Gaunt's eyes. What do you mean we can't get through to New York? It's no use, sir. Something must be jamming our signal, or the subgrade arcology has been compromised. Take us out of lunar orbit and get us back to Earth. Give me everything you've got. The communications ensign had said aloud what the entire crew feared. The Soul Eater virus had infiltrated the technocracy. Jim, Mr. Gone, and his crew aboard the Umbral and Necronautic exploration vessel Eurydice had been investigating the aftermath of the maelstrom raging through the Shadowlands for years now. Along the way, they had discovered the empty ruins of Enoch and the terrible Umbral virus dwelling within. Jenkins had been the first to be infected. The virus had forced its way through his encounter suit and took control of him. Gone had flushed Jenkins out an airlock, but not before the virus spread to others. The infected crew's flesh had grown uncontrollably, fusing to the steel of the ship and computer circuits as well. Now all that remained of the infected were black scorch marks on several bulkheads. But that's not all they found. The black-robed Julius had returned with Gone after an expedition to the broken remains of Stygia deep in the Tempest. At first, Jim thought the enigmatic man was a reality deviant, but that didn't seem to be the case. He claimed to be a Sin Eater, the first and oldest of his kind, and displayed abilities that matched nothing in the ship's database. Fortunately, Julius and the other Sin Eaters he claimed to represent knew how to fight this insidious Umbral virus, a hive mind whose single purpose was to consume everything. Lieutenant, I need... What's that on our scanners? Jim snapped back to attention and peered at his holographic display. Three blips approached rapidly, phasing in and out of sight as the vessel's radar pulse reflected back off the approaching vessel's hulls. Three objects incoming. All unique and unknown silhouettes. They're hailing us, sir. Open a channel. Jim was within view of the small vid screen at Gon's console. As the image generated, Jim gritted his teeth, and Gon visibly clenched his fists. The man on the screen looked exactly like Gon, but a pale, exsanguinated reflection. This was version 6, a vicissitude-created clone of Mr. Gon, and this one had been embraced as a Malkavian vampire. Version 6, I see you escape the Shadowlands. Indeed, Gon. And now you are too late. The hive is spreading throughout your world, and soon the planet will be awash with blood. The vid screen cut out abruptly before Gon could retort. Instantly, the Soul Eater vessels opened fire. The Eurydice was racked with putrid bioplasma, which shot through the void, hitting her in the right engine. Scramble fighters! I want long-range suppression fire on the Soul Eaters. Keep them at a distance. Red radiation flashed past the starboard viewport. Jim could see the trio of Soul Eater vessels scatter on his display. The first of Eurydice's fighters had left the hangar, appearing as a green sphere on the 3D viewer, moving to intercept the closest enemy ship. Fires have launched and are engaging, sir. Jim glanced at the captain's technical map, which provided a high-resolution two-dimensional view of the battle. Small, technocratic, X-177 fighters were strafing by the large, bulbous enemy ships, their hulls made of a horrid fusion of pale skin and corroded metal. 
The fighters were able to engage and distract two of the ships, but the third was accelerating straight at Eurydice. Suddenly, Jim's display showed an ethereal blue mist surrounding the sphere that represented the Eurydice. Then, as suddenly as it appeared, the ethereal mist, along with all the solar ships, vanished. Sir, the enemy ships are no longer on our scopes. Fighters are reporting a blue mist in the space, and the Solias have vanished. Gon stood up and approached the slender prow viewport. We always suspected there were spirits up here. It must have been something from the moon that took pity on us. Helmsman, bring us back to Earth, full speed. Jim was thrust back in his seat as the ship accelerated towards their home planet. Sir, there's something you should see on the telescope feed. It's New York City. Put it on the main screen. The image that materialized on screen showed a pink eruption of what seemed to be a liquid spewing up from Manhattan. The buildings caught in the pink liquid's path were destroyed by the force of the torrent. The liquid spread quickly in all directions like a pink tsunami despite the terrain. Only water seemed to slow it down, fizzing and frothing where it came into contact, which only slowed it. But across land, it was accelerating, taking over the tri-state area and tearing through Pennsylvania as they watched with horrid fascination. Oh no, that skin, bone, and muscle, the solar is consuming the earth. The tide of skin was in the upper Midwest now, approaching Michigan. As the flow crossed the state line, a brilliant flash blinded the crew. As the light subsided, they saw only a crater where the lower right of the state had been, a chasm slowly filling with water from the Great Lakes. The Ann Arbor facility is self-destructed. Gone shot to his feet. Men, there's only one way to end this. Mecca and the central nervous system must be in Manhattan. I want a shuttle prepped and ready with three tactical nukes on board. I'm going down there. But, sir. But nothing. Get Julius to the senior conclave in Venice. You'll need to organize a counter-strike from the old world. Gon was already heading out the command deck, rushing to the ship's lower level. Despite the commotion, Jim remained calm and glanced at the vid screen on Gon's command seat. On it was an ASCII image of a sphinx with a simple message. And so it begins. Thank you for listening to this free audio teaser of Dirty Secrets 2, The Wrath of Gon. Welcome to Dark Days Radio, episode number 37. Uh, tonight I'm joined, uh, of course I'm Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Um, it's good, other than uh, it's a bit, well, it's a bit warm and humid, so, mm. yeah. <laughs> yep, 
stands to reason. And uh, we've also got here in this Google Hangout uh, both Vergast and Beckett. What's going on, guys? Uh, not too Hola, much. How are you doing? I'm very good. Chris sounds well uh, as well. And uh, this is going to be an interesting episode because, of course, we have the Google Hangout set up. Uh, this is going to probably be on YouTube, I'd expect. And then we're also going to have an audio version recorded for everyone to check out. Um, that will have some additional editing. And hopefully it will have an audio drama intro, which listeners of the podcast will get to hear. A uh, nice little intro to season four. So uh, we got a lot of stuff to do tonight. Um, and let's just jump right into it. Uh, so uh, for the mailbag segment, uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback and all that kind of stuff. I think I might have said something last time about how we need more feedback. So that explains what we got. Uh, quite a few messages. Uh, but most importantly uh, with Dark Days Radio is that we are now a drive through RPG affiliate. So uh, if you get uh, your PDFs or print books from DriveThruRPG, uh, you can use our affiliate ID to give the show a little bit of a kickback and help support it. What we'll be doing is on the Podbean site and on the Postress site as well, because it'll be uh, automatically linked to the RSS. Uh, we're going to have uh, images of books that we talk about and discuss in the episode. Uh, and those, When you click the link... We'll add the affiliate ID in, so if you buy a copy of that book, it'll help us out, and we'll really, really appreciate that. As well, regarding feedback, uh, we've had some great feedback from uh, Adrian and Steve, or Verdgast. Um, definitely a lot of suggestions for how we should approach the show, especially in uh, Season 4. Uh, tons of ideas. I don't really want to give anything away, but I think it's going to be pretty exciting in the future. Mm-hmm. We've got quite a few things planned. Um, and we've also had some questions which lead into um, lead into a few things for the Chronicle Design um, Darklings that were still running. I think we've got about two or three of those left. So um, having some more points to cover is good. Um, what else have we got on the show notes here? So. And we've also had some feedback from the last show in particular, where we had Richard Thomas on. So, um, uh, Mike, you had a reminder of something there to do with your secret frequency there. Right. Well, um, Anna Mizuki over on Shadow and Essence uh, gave me a nice little message kind of talking about the uh, the Red Talon werewolf tribe. And uh, canonically, they really don't have any Hamid kinfolk. So she was kind yeah. of calling into question the idea of using the melon heads for that reason. Um, definitely if you want to stick to canon, then you probably shouldn't do that. But if you just want to have something really crazy to have show up in your, your werewolf chronicle, or maybe even something that isn't werewolf, maybe, maybe this could be, uh, a great tie in for Hunter the Reckoning, let's say, uh, because that's a great game to, uh, kind of take the canonical world of darkness and then turn it on its head and really just kind of confuse the players. Um, it might be a great thing to do in that game as well. But thanks for the reminder. I really appreciate it. Um, another comment we got on the Podbean site was from Laughing Hyena. Rather lengthy uh, comment talking about a whole lot of things about um, her own challenges with art in university. Uh, you know, kind of showing a story in your artwork instead of just a static view of just a landscape and that kind of stuff. Um, she also pointed out that there is a uh, write-up for a spirit magath, which is inspired by ice cream trucks. Uh, possibly in the uh, 
the Rockies supplement for Werewolf Forsaken. She wasn't exactly sure. Um, if we keep having ice cream trucks roll on by while we're trying to record an episode, I'll be sure to give that a read and get to the bottom of it. Excellent, excellent. Um, oh, yeah, and also, like, so some of the questions, I mean, so things that will be added in to uh, the Chronicle Design series we've been asked about uh, by Alakov about uh, running elders in Requiem. Um, and really dealing with how you how to how to run them because of course they're quite different characters from regular um, vampire starting vampire characters and I think there's a few points which we've picked out which was really how to contrast an elder's um, an elder's life against say the life of the neonates and and cilia vampires. Um, and really how to deal with the scale of the game. And that's again been uh, another question. So Daniel, um, Daniel's an interesting person to, to bring up. So he actually um, was doing his PhD while I was working at Warwick. So um, I know him personally. So when he asked us about how to uh, choose the scale of the Chronicle, and again, I think is um, the idea is, is that you can have quite a, a large scale plot going on. So you know, the example I gave was say, you know, your city's being uh, is under siege by the Sabbat and there's lots of shovelheads attacking you and then your character is constantly fighting these uh, enemies and so it's a very, you can have a very combat driven uh, action orientated plot and then you can contrast that by bringing in something uh, more um, more local where say a char that same character's uh, friend dies under mysterious circumstances and you bring it back down to um, contrasting your character dealing with the most monstrous elements of your society and then dealing with the fact that you yourself is a, are a monster and your friends who are humans. So um, yeah, we're going to cover that type of stuff in the next Chronicle Design episode because we're looking at um, we're looking at how you bring together your your group of players and the, and the group of characters and that's important when you have to think of well, how these group characters work at neonate level and elder level or somewhere in between. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's some of the stuff we're looking ahead to do as well as other things. Yep. And the one last thing I wanted to mention was that uh, Adrian, who's a Baga Knight, he's been submitting along with Steve some of the great Dark Ages segments lately. Uh, he wrote up a very nice essay, a very insightful essay, regarding the future of, like, game publishing and, like, ebooks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, kind of looking at where the trends are going and uh, and where he thinks it's going to go in the future. Uh, he posted that on our Posture site. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. All right. Yep. So, I think that leads us on neatly to White Wolf News. I wonder what we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, indeed it does. Indeed it does. Um, so we've got the, uh, 2012 and 2013 release schedule, which was just released on Tuesday, and we're going to spend the majority of the show talking about that in the main, main segment. Um, the other thing that I found interesting is that White Wolf put out, uh, tactics cards for one of their exalted shards. Mm. And I've been seeing this a lot lately on DriveThruRPG. This isn't exactly White Wolf news. Um, there's been a lot of, like, PDFs of cards coming out lately. And I'm kind of curious if we might see print-on-demand cards, like card games, in the future. 
um, hmm. which would be very okay. exciting. And I think that would really, really cause a uh, just just a lot of excitement in the gaming industry because it'll be a lot easier to get collectible card games or you know set card games out to the public, which should always be good. And it might even bring back some old card games. You never know. Maybe we'll see Rage again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's. Um... That'd be really cool. So these um, tactic cards, because I haven't actually um, followed this up and looked at them. So they just um, a game mechanic that occurs within that shard, and these tactics cards allow you to play through that scenario. I think it's more just for reference. I haven't looked at it too closely. I just really looked at them real quick, and I saw that there was card fronts, card backs, and there was rules on the fronts of the cards. Um, of course, I'm not really an expert on Exalted, so I. Uh didn't really know what to well, look for in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. And with that, I think it's time to move over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. <laughs> this afternoon, we take a look at Summerwind Mansion, one of America's most haunted buildings. Summerwind Mansion actually began as a fishing lodge on the banks of West Bay Lake in northeast Wisconsin. In 1916, the property was purchased by Robert Patterson Lamont, then a local businessman and later the U.S. Secretary of Commerce from 1929 to 1932, so during the Great Depression. Lamont had the property uh, almost completely reconstructed, creating a two-story mansion that became his main residence until it was suddenly abandoned in the mid-1930s. Local lore alleges that one evening, while eating dessert in the kitchen, Lamont and his wife saw a ghost. The misty form of a man shook the basement door open and confronted the couple. Lamont drew his nearby pistol and fired two shots as the misty form swiftly receded back into the basement and slammed the door shut. The Lamonts immediately fled their home and never returned, leaving many of their belongings in the remote mansion. The Kiefer family purchased Summerwind and the surrounding land from the Lamonts in the 1940s and were able to subdivide and sell most of it. However, the mansion plot reverted to uh, Mrs. Kiefer many times as each purchaser experienced financial difficulties. Mrs. Kiefer never lived in the mansion permanently and the building just fell into disrepair. In the early 1970s, Arnold and Ginger Hinshaw purchased the residence, hoping to renovate the mansion, which had plumbing and electrical conduits from the World War I era. The family was uh, shocked that they actually couldn't retain a contractor to work on the house, some specifically saying that they wouldn't work in a haunted house. The family was getting suspicious as well. Shadows flickered in the house on cloudless days, uh, windows opened themselves, and a misty form passed through the vicinity of the dining room. But undeterred, the family began doing renovations themselves. So, while cleaning the drawers of a closet, Arnold found a recessed nook that led into the wall. Peering in, he found what looked like a body and called to the rest of his family. Now, he, re he refused to have his wife take a look, but later let his daughter Mary crawl into the space and see what was in it. <laughs> The girl at least found a human skull and the remaining strands of black hair attached to that. Uh, and being such upstanding and concerned citizens, the family put the drawer back, sealing the recess, and pretended they'd never seen anything. Now, within six months, Arnold suffered a breakdown. 
Uh, his business was failing, and his family could hardly afford to eat. Uh, he began wandering the mansion at night and playing the Hammond organ, claiming that voices ordered him to. He was later institutionalized, and the family left Summerwind, allowing the property to revert back to Mrs. Kiefer. Now, Ginger's father, Raymond Bober, decided to purchase the partially renovated property and convert it into a restaurant. Uh, this is another venture wrought with setbacks and strangeness. His son Carl claims to have been subjected to a ghostly reenactment of Robert Lamont's 1930s ghost encounter, complete with spectral gunshots. The same son later, later investigated the recess with the body, uh, ignoring his sister's hysterical pleas, but found that there was nothing in the wall. They also had an out-of-state contractor that they hired to do work, and they had a number of challenges as well. Tools would disappear, rooms would change in size, and even photographs of rooms would show spectral apparitions of furniture that had been removed and destroyed weeks before. Raymond Wilbur also claims to have been contacted by a spirit in Summerwind Mansion. Jonathan Carver, an 18th century American explorer, explained to him that he was searching for the deeds to the northern third of Wisconsin state. The Bobers eventually relinquished the property, returning it to Mrs. Kiefer. In 1986, it was sold to investors, who then sold it to a Canadian family. In 1988, Summerwind Mansion was struck multiple times by lightning, despite the number of taller surrounding trees, and the building burnt to the ground. Only the foundation arches and the brick chimneys remain. So, what about Summerwind's can uh, be useful for our World of Darkness games? Well, the location is ripe for exploration by wraiths and sea eaters. Uh, the basement could be an Avernian gate leading to the underworld, uh, unknown to the hapless of landowners. Now, rooms shifting in dimensions and size and color. Uh, this could be actually a great way to portray a thin shroud for games for mediums, imbued, the Orpheus group, or the Orphic circle. Pretty much any chronicle relating to uh, the mortal world and the realms of the dead. The mist-like specters seen by residents may not actually be ghosts at all. A gangrel vampire might just be passing by after feeding on the household cats, or maybe hiding a body in the walls. In Changing the Dreaming, this could actually be a literal interpretation of the mists that cloud mortal minds, blinding them to the chimerical and the supernatural. Maybe the mists aren't even supernatural at all. It could just be some hallucinatory gas creeping up from the cracked foundation. And what about Mrs. Kiefer? Just how old is she? The property consistently reverts back to her whenever a purchaser is driven away. Perhaps she's running some sort of con. Uh, maybe her fate and that of Summerwind are intrinsically linked. Only when the mansion was destroyed by lightning was the old woman's soul freed. Or maybe at death, her soul became bound to the ruins. And speaking of lightning, Promethean? Yeah. This property would be a great place for a creative who's following the isolationist cuprum refinement. And uh, this, of course, is a problem when somebody new moves in and finds the human remains that she hid in the wall, uh, the stockpile for creating a new Promethean. But I think the best idea I've come up with is this one. Summerwind Mansion is a monster mash. Okay, you got a wraith in the rafters, a gangrel in the basement, an unseelie prankster puka ready to frighten visitors, a bonar who's just always up for a laugh, and maybe a marauder mage. They seem like nice chaps. So guys, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you to come up with some ideas for Summerwind Mansion. What do you guys think? <laughs> wow. Um, okay, so one thing that I found interesting reading through this was the fact there was a story with the haunted curtain. 
mm. which was basically this curtain that as many times as uh, as often as the owners at the time would try and get rid of the curtain uh, or literally destroy it it would return or it would appear within photos they take of the house and there's also I think there's a picture on the actual website which shows a um, of the room of a, a particular room at one point in time and then there's a picture taken at a later point which shows the a ghostly uh, apparition of a um, I believe a, a writing desk and so I really like the idea of like haunted objects so that kind of ties in with stuff like uh, reliquary and uh, and so forth so I think um, the idea of uh, a haunted object that is a let's think a haunted object that's related to the deeds that the person was looking for right. and so perhaps the only way to get those deeds is that they've been destroyed and so the, the haunted object is almost a sign that the deeds exist uh, in the underworld so the only way to get them is to open the Avernian gate which is say in the basement and travel god knows how many layers down to get the deeds or at least to get some uh, shadowy version of them um, and I think that'd be kind of good and that ties in with the idea of like various lost knowledge that you can grab um, ooh. I don't know um, any other ideas? I think you covered most of the ideas there Mike I like the Promethean one quite a bit Steve? Mm. or yeah. uh, I like the uh, the way that the guy's eating uh, dessert and the, with a gun and uh, manages to whip it out so quickly he manages to shoot a ghost twice, not once, twice. That's, uh, that's some awesome splitting of his dice pool. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, like what Chris said, I think Mike stole all the best ideas in his description because uh, my idea was straight away that the, the shroud in this place is particularly uh, thin, perhaps drawing on cliches like Indian burial grounds that the house is built upon or some such thing like that. You could also tie back into... Uh, Spirits uh, bleeding over into the uh, real world. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Because like um, with the spirits thing as well, you have the very you have the sense with um, with uh, Samoyed Mansion that it contains many places that don't exist um, due to whatever corrupted essence or uh, a loci that is present or um, uh, what is it? What's the Corrupted areas of the shadow, um, the hissel. Uh, I'm trying to think in second. They called not shallows, but shoals, or I can't really remember the exact terms. But you get these uh, corrupted areas, and they can lead to places that don't exist. So the idea that these non-existent places can suddenly appear in the real world. Um, a good example of where that's been applied is in Shadows of the UK when it refers to Glasgow and it has streets that appear and disappear. So you can do the same thing with rooms that appear and disappear and just have, you can even have people um, get lost in a room and trapped in a room within some uh, somewhere mansion with no way out because it's a place that doesn't exist. And you could almost use the adventure out of, I think, mysterious places has a room that appears and yes, disappears. The room. Hmm. If you really want to go with something that again kind of appears and disappears, is um, can't think of the SAS story name, but it's one where there is a 
a gambling den, and I think it's run by an Aslu spider-possessed person. And again, it's a way of trapping people. So um, yeah, you could do. I think I think the the disappearing and appearing rings is really creepy, and that also ties in with say the hedge, and you can almost have the idea of places appearing and disappearing as like verges with um, or places in Arcadia even. Yeah. Um, and the fact is the place doesn't exist, well, I say it doesn't exist anymore, it's burnt down. It's true, I mean, there could be some kind of a dark reflection, of course, in the Shadowlands of uh, Wraith the Oblivion, it's definitely going to exist there still, and there could be some Wraith uh, relics as well that are left behind, mm. so that could always be very interesting. Uh, maybe that deed that we mentioned before uh, no longer exists in the mortal world, but it's still a relic. Don't know how useful it would be, it might just be toilet paper, but yeah, <laughs> could still be there as well. I also like to bring up that Beckett's uh, camera, you know, showed up for a little bit and he looked like this kind of ghostly apparition as well. They were just mentioning the kind of misty form. Uh, so yeah. maybe he's being haunted as well. Uh, the other thing I was thinking is that, I mean, someone mentioned um, is a perfect kind of location for a, a typical mortals game. So if you want to go a bit historical and have a play game that's set before someone was burnt down. Um, it'd be great for a kind of supernatural slash um, style hunter game where they go in and investigate. Um, so, I mean, Mike, you've read it a lot more. I mean, hell, there's even on the website they have the blueprints for the, for the uh, building, I believe. Yeah, they have a link to the original blueprints from 1916. Yeah, I haven't really taken a look at that. Is it the actual blueprints, or they just want you to buy them? Uh, oh no, it's there to buy. There to yeah. buy. You can't actually link to them. I'm sure they might be online somewhere. It would be nice if they um, scanned them and made PDFs. I mean, everyone yeah. can check them out. And, of course, even though the location is, the building itself is burned down, um, there is no reason why you can't have it appear and disappear at certain, say, points in the year or at a particular kind of important times, or in some way cause it to manifest. It would also be potentially a very important uh, autodrachal worm's nest. Um, it could even be a uh, autodrachal chantry, which could have been destroyed by a bit of Lanka Sanctum uh, Thaven Sorcery, you know, Divine Judgment, a lightning bolt coming down and destroying it. That would be kind of cool. Um, there's definitely a lot lot to um, that you could use it for. Yep, so uh, do we have any other ideas for the secret frequency, or shall we move on? So, let's yeah. move on to the main segment. We recently got the release schedule, uh, released on the White Wolf blogs, and... Uh, we got a copy in our show notes right here as well. So it seems like it's going to be really exciting. A couple overall things I noticed were that, first off, White Wolf recently has only been putting out about one product a month, maybe like once every three weeks. And this release schedule has typically three items per month. That seems pretty huge, a pretty huge increase. Um, I mean, if, if Rich Thomas and everyone else thinks they can do it, more power to them. I'm really excited to see more content coming out. Uh, it's just something I, I noticed, really. Uh, something else I was taking a look at is the fact that for the uh, for the new World of Darkness, it seems like we're expecting products for 
just the the New World of Darkness blue books, Vampire the mm-hmm. Requiem, one book for Mage the Awakening. Well, there's also a translation guide in there, and yeah. Mummy, and of course the upcoming Demon the Triple Question Mark. Yes. So uh, nothing for Changeling the Lost, which is unfortunate because it's always fun to see books for that. Uh, nothing for Werewolf as well, which I'm a little disappointed with, but you never know. I mean, really schedules can always change. Maybe there'll be a really exciting new idea that someone comes up with. And nothing for Hunter. Nothing for Promethean. No Promethean Chronicler's Guide, which is very unfortunate, of course. And, of course, I think, um, though it's not World of Darkness type stuff, but the fact is Exalted 3rd Edition, which is, I think, pretty freaking big. Well... I reserve judgment until the book, you know, actually comes out and we can see how this yeah. is. I mean, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not an exalted expert, but it seems like people have been a little disappointed with both first edition and second edition, at least when all the excess rules come out and it just gets so complicated. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, it's definitely something that I hope to see streamlined in some way and that it keeps the best of the best parts of second edition. Um, mm. I mean it's it's a difficult game because you've got so you've got so much so many of the mechanics allow for a good representation of of the type of uh, combat that you expect and that anime style epicness but um we'll see what they do with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, apparently they've been playtesting for a very long time. So, right, right. But it's good to see so many different releases. I mean, in particular, we've got these chronicle anthologies, and uh, with fiction and an actual um, chronicle in there. But I mean, we'll get to that when we break down the release schedule and go through yep. each item. Yeah, I think we should just go ahead with that right now. Unless uh, Steve and Joe, do you have any? Uh, comments on the overall release schedule. Well, I was just going to chip in with the uh, with Exalted. Uh, I was just a little concerned on uh, reflection that it wasn't just going to be a third edition with just a continuation of the meta plot. I mean, at the end of the um, the uh, Return of the Scarlet Empress, there's the comic at the end. I love those things, by the way. Uh, that hints when uh, is it Naga O is talking about the the Age of Brass. I'm just a little concerned it will be this, the same level of complexity and keeping the, uh, the world of darkness kind of feel to it, you know, the dots, the equal dice, that kind of stuff. That's then going to be uh, just a meta plot shift on rather than, like Chris is hoping for, a streamlining of the rules. I think it'd be good to see some sort of uh, continuation of the meta plot. I mean, they, they've done that with second edition to a certain extent um, because first edition gave one particular endgame scenario when they brought out uh, the Alchemical Exalted book. And they touched upon that same endgame scenario when they did that in second edition. But they also brought out a second edition, uh, the Infernal Exalted, and so um, the endgame scenario with uh, the return of Scarlet Empress. But it would be nice to see them push on uh, the Metaplot for Exalted. I mean, Exalted is one of those weird games where actually I kind of like the Metaplot because the world's so big that you can still do so much with the setting and not find it too constrictive. And also because the characters you're generally playing are so important that you do feel like your characters are making a difference in the setting. 
Mm. Anyway, less about Exalted. I believe this is a World Darkness podcast. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. So, uh, with that, let's move on over to the release schedule itself, going through month by month, item by item. So, August 2012, The Silent Knife Novel. Now, Chris, you started to read some of this when it was being serialized, uh, and you gave me some uh, interesting comments about it, some some uh, comments on some Lankia Sanctum rituals, I believe. Yeah, there were some really cool elements, yeah, with the Lankia Sanctum. Otherwise, when I started originally reading this because it was serialized on the website, some of it, honestly, I wasn't that much of a fan of, uh, compared to bits I've read from... Uh, the other, you know, the Greg Stolz's series, things, right, with the, um, which ties in with Chicago. I found those more interesting to read. Um, Silent Knife, there were a few bits in it which I found a bit too cliched. Well, yeah, so I, I did read part of it as well, um, at your behest, I'd say, just to check it out. And the thing I feel from it was it was more of a, uh, you know, it still had that, that kind of punk feel from the old World of Darkness in some ways, which is cool if, if that's what you're looking for. Um, I think I, I might check out this novel when it comes out. Hopefully I'll be able to give it a read, give it a review as well. Next up after that is Vampire the Requiem Blood Sorcery, which we've known about for quite some time, and hopefully we'll be able to get oh, yeah. uh, David Hill on the show to talk about that in the future. Just a little shout out to you, David. Definitely really good to get David back on, because he's got other things going on and other books he's working on. I believe he's working on a certain book that's later in the release schedule, so, um, um, oh, yep. I was going to add, actually, um, something with the blood sorcery, we know that, uh, um, another, uh, David, uh, Brookshaw this time, is also working on that book, and um, I blood think sorcery, on the, really? yeah, I think in the, on the World Darkness for on the White Wolf forums, he's commented that there is this whole idea of making the, um, making Blood Sorcery a bit more freeform. Now, people were kind of worried that would it make it as powerful as Mage-style magic, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's just going to be more examples of how to make new new spells, new new powers, um, and make it feel a bit more like hedge wizardry. Yeah, definitely something to check out. And also in August is the V20 Book of Nod Restoration Edition, which is going to be uh, cleaning up all the original files to make the uh, artwork and the text more readable and just higher quality. Uh, and that'll be for POD itself. Um, I don't think they're changing anything with it. It's still going to be the same content. They're really just cleaning up the files, uh, which may require them, I figure, to uh, kind of go back and, and get the original artwork maybe. Uh, and just relay out the text as well. But perhaps I kind of think that's a must-have. Yeah, yeah, I kind of. I mean, Beckett, you did a Darkling on the Book of Nod itself, so I mean, you're clearly quite a fan. Oh yeah, I just I love those little books. Uh, Book of Nod particularly. I don't care if they really change it or not, but I'm really interested in seeing what they do with it. Mm. Definitely, definitely. Good stuff. And uh, with that, let's move on over to September 2012, which is going to have Mummy the Curse finally released. Um, and I believe Rich mentioned that they're going to do a Kickstarter for this, but it's going to be a little bit different. So the, the print-on-demand and the PDF are actually going to come out while the Kickstarter is still running. 
Um, so if you find that you like really like the book and you like the ideas in it, then you can decide to get the limited edition or, or deluxe uh, version of the book. It should be very good. And a lot of great ideas have been coming out about that. I liked the uh, one uh, blog post that the developer wrote uh, where, where basically one of the main ideas behind the uh, overall kind of feel of the game and, and the power level is just, fuck it, you begin as the prince. Yeah. <laughs> All the stuff associated with that. So that's, that's really cool. And it's something different, uh, different kind of power level, different kind of tier, I'd say, well, which should be very exciting for the game. Have you guys been uh, checking out the uh, mummy stuff at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually, this is the first I've heard about it, other than sort of the joking that's been going on in different forums. Hmm. But uh, I was curious about uh, what you just said about starting out as the prince. I wonder if it'll be something sort of akin to the, uh, the Dudes of Legend book, where it's almost more of a joke. Mm, I don't think it's going to be a joke. I think it's going to be pretty serious. Um, what, what they mean by starting off as prince is basically that, you know, you have your servants and everything. You've got, you know, your, 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 your kind of regal court almost. Um, and I guess each mummy is going to have this if they would like. I'm sure there's like different power levels that you could have. The blog post was a little vague. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to, uh, to link people to it so they can check it out. I think some parallels you can draw from uh, what I've been reading with, uh, from Mummy is there's definitely some parallels with, say, Amaranthine uh, by David Hill and Philomena Young. Mm. Again, you're dealing with immortals that get reborn, and so there are connections that they would have that they are able to maintain from life to life to life, or in this case, you know, resurrection to resurrection to resurrection. Um, and also, uh, think about the dynastic houses uh, within Vampire Requiem, and it talks about how one elder wakes up and one elder sleeps and how they maintain power. Um, and I think really they're kind of distilling those kind of concepts down into into what Mummy the Curse would allow you, which is you wake up as this immortal being and you have a ton of shit that you've acquired over the ages. Yep. What are you going to do with it? Or you had all this crap and it's now all gone. So that's a lot to play with there. I don't know. I, I haven't read anything about it, but I'm kind of curious if it might be something sort of like a blend almost between Geist and Wraith, where maybe this court is like a personal court in the Shadowlands. Uh, I don't know if you're like an Egyptian mummy or something like that, but maybe everything was buried with you when you died or supposedly died. Yeah, well, uh, that would tie it into the uh, old World of Darkness mummy as well, because there you, you spend time in the uh, in the underworld between your resurrections in um, Amat, I think it's called, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. This is the uh, the Dark Kingdom of Sand, uh, as it's otherwise known, uh, where, you know, Egyptian mythology still holds a uh, more powerful sway than, say, uh, in Stygia or the, uh, you know, the Dark Kingdom of Steel. But I, I'm really looking forward to Mummy the Curse. I think it's going to be a, a, a really insightful reworking on a, a line that I felt was underdeveloped in the old world of darkness that can get some really interesting re, uh, releases coming out later on in the schedule as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're going to have to do a show on it once it comes out and really just get uh, the nitty gritty on what the setting and the mechanics are all about. A uh, very interesting thing I noticed about the release schedule is that... Um, Rich Rich shows that uh, there's going to be a separate release of the SAS, the Storyteller Adventure System kind of module, uh, which is actually contained in the main Mummy of the Curse book. Um, so I was kind of wondering, like, is this going to be like a good introduction to um, 
to Mummy the Curse that's playable by just regular mortals, like uh, like from the World of Darkness Blue Book. Because uh, it's kind of strange that they'd make a an SAS, which is a storyteller tool, basically, and have it uh, released separately from the core rulebook. I noticed that also in the show notes. I was I was thinking maybe it was like a quick start sort of thing, like an introductory to the game. Yeah, that could be it as well. It could just be a quick start. Yeah. Or it could be uh, that the uh, the mummy is the antagonist of that story, and they're trying to keep uh, all his powers under wraps. So it's much more of a dare I say mummy film kind of feel to it, where you guys are digging away in Egypt and unearth something truly terrifying. Good idea. Good idea. I like it. But we'll have to see what the uh, adventure is when it comes out. Yes, yes. Yep. And next up, we've got the uh, V20 book, Children of the Revolution. Uh, Kickstarter for that's already done, but uh, I guess we're going to see the uh, PDF and POD copies coming out um, in September. So it should be good. should be interesting. Uh, has anybody kicked in for this? Uh, sadly, no, I haven't. This book, I, just, I don't really know what it is, but of all the 20th anniversary, this one just really doesn't catch my interest too much. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of sitting out on Kickstarters right now until I see more of the um, new Woods Kickstarters, because honestly, that's the stuff I'm going to buy. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to say that um, Children of the Night, the revised book that was like this, was the most grinding read ever. Good <laughs> God. Because <laughs> I just read the entire thing through, and I wasn't just like cherry-picking NPCs. So I'm not excited about doing that again. I'll probably pick it up on PDF, maybe POD. We'll have to see. We'll have um, to see. I think this book is actually intended to be more like uh, Children of the Inquisition, where it's actually just like 10 to 12 NPCs rather than like an entire book full of them. But I'm not really certain on that. Yeah, that that's right. I've kicked in for this. I'm part of this uh, kind of a, a V20 treadmill that's out there. I'm, I'm, nice. I'm greasing the wheels. Uh, but then I loved Children of the Inquisition back in the day. And one of the things that really caught my eye is the fact that now that they hit the Kickstarter goal, they went past that. They're now doing the um, red list for V20. Um, so right. there's, a, there's an incentive to kick into these things because you can get more products out at the other end, I mean, if, if everybody just says, hey, let's just hang back a minute here and I might pick it up, I don't know. You know, That way then you don't get other bonus products being released out there. So, Yeah, that's a great point, Steve. Because when you think about it, since everything is always in print now with the POD and PDS system, you don't have that kind of impulse buy. But when you have the Kickstarter, you can still take advantage of that a little bit and get a bit more money up front, let's say. Uh, and then you can also, of course, have these great kickbacks for the supporters as well, and, and even the entire community, because I think the uh, the red list is going to be available to everyone. So I hope it's available to everyone. It's definitely available for everyone. Yeah, but uh, again, if these things become popular, they may take the availability to people who don't kickstart away, uh, which is uh, you know well within the, uh, the realms of possibility. But like I say, I really like the Kickstarter idea, though. Um, I chipped in for the companion and was absolutely chuffed when the PDF came out and I could see my name in the little list of uh, people up there. Mm. That was really nice. That was really nice. And for, for no extra cost, really. It's just chipping in for a website to get something released that you're really looking forward to. So. I agree. That was pretty nice. All right, cool. And uh, let's move on over to October 2012 with Mage the Awakening, The Left-Handed Path, which uh, David Brookshaw was hinting about way back. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Was it David Brookshaw? 
It was Matt McFarland. Oh, I think it was both of them. Hmm. Um, yes, it looks great. Um, the fact it's going to detail heretics and apostates, the mad, the scholasti, something called reapers, uh, more info on the Tremere. So, um, yeah, and everything including how they embrace madness, steal souls, and worship the abyss. So I'm really looking forward to this one. It, and it adds on to like some of the other books that have already been out. Um, and, you know, we've had stuff like Imperial Mysteries. We've had books like um, Banishers. So this really rounds out uh, all the different types of mages and setting. And um, the legacies that will be in there, I believe, not all of them will be playable, but one or two might well be. And, of course, the big release is going to be W20 in October. <laughs> a lot of stuff to say about that. Uh, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My wallet's already beginning to ache from the uh, <laughs> from the uh, the upcoming schedule list for that. So. I'm glad to see Bill Bridges is one of the uh, co-developers of it, along with uh, Eddie Webb and Ethan Skemp. So, I mean, we got, we got one of the original guys right there. Ethan's been working on it for... Uh, working on Apocalypse for a really long time and uh, Eddie's always a very insightful person with the World of Darkness so they've got a great team and I'm excited to see what happens. I was just really interested in seeing how they sort of update the setting like uh, with uh, the V20 you know, they put a lot of a lot of information on new technology and things like that and incorporating it into the setting. I think uh, for Werewolf specifically there'll be a lot more things like that that they'll have to take into consideration just how the you know, it's decades later from the original game. The world's a lot of different place. Yes, I mean the modernization of our of our attitudes to environmental concerns or the development of certain environmental concerns um, will be will be will be quite prominent in that game, I guess. Yeah. Oh, uh, it'd be yeah. interesting to see where they evolve Pentax. I mean, Pentax Pentax is more than likely going to have some subsidiary that will look like a certain fruit company, maybe. Skynet. Skynet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, Skynet's already in existence. The the UK has it. Though it's not a robot thing, it's just their satellite system. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, one thing that I would be really interested in to see what they're going to do with uh, the new version of Werewolf is how they're going to handle the changing breeds. If we're going to see those guys in the main book, or are they going to see them as being a... Uh, fully fleshed out later because I noticed later on there's a, a, a release for that or are we going to yeah. see like they took all the bloodlines for Vampire and you've got all of those all in the, uh, the V20 book as well I, I would imagine so just because they put like almost everything in the V20 but a part of me kind of hopes they try and keep it a secret a little bit, you know, try and keep a little bit of a mystery in there. Well, the alternative to putting uh, the changing breeds in and, like, the, the kind of bloodline section, you could actually have the uh, the different camps of the tribes as well. You could have write-ups about those and really just keep W20 focused on the guru uh, instead of bringing in the changing breeds. That's another option that they have. Um, has anyone seen anything on the uh, W20 blog regarding changing breeds? No. No, I really haven't either. Either way, though, I think it'll be great. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, if it even just gets the same kind of uh, level of detail that they went to into V20, I mean, that mm -hmm. book is lovely. Everything's laid out much uh, much more nicely because you've got everything all in one place rather than a scatter shot through about 10 or 11 books. Yep. You know, that's, that's, that was great for me, just being able to flick from page to page and have players turn to me and say, hey, who the hell are these guys, the children of Osiris? And you're like, they're from back in the day, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Nice. That, and with each new additional uh, anniversary edition, means it's a little more likely and possible that we might get like a changeling or wraith. Uh, well, I, I think if they knock out those things to Kickstarter, I think those uh, there's a lot of love for those lines. I really do think that uh, you, if they were willing, not willing to take the chance on uh, full development and put it to Kickstarter and then start develop it, developing it, Mm -hmm. I think that would be uh, uh, you know, something that would be definitely out there. I think Bog and Knight himself would uh, pledge his, uh, his entire life savings to get a, mm -hmm. a, 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 a V20, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, a, a C20, sorry. All right, cool. And uh, next up is the W20 SAS adventure, The Skinner, starring Samuel Haight. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's why Rich didn't give us the title of the product last episode, because it would be pretty obvious what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> but as you pointed out they're going back to his roots really and chopping off all the I don't want to say dead weight stupid weight the, um, all right. it's going to be it, it, it looks like it would be nice to see it come out I mean I mean, my interest in well the apocalypse again is rather small I don't play uh, Satan but it will be nice to see uh, the approach they take with the character because I bought um, was it Chaos Factor for um, Mage back in the day yeah. it had the yeah. whole compendium with the other adventure as well yeah you read up on him and I was just like what the fuck is this um, <laughs> so it would be nice to see the approach you know, it would be nice to see how they approach the character with the 20th anniversary of Werewolf and how they you know how they really approach the entire setting and character because I think I think they mostly want to look at that character through maybe the lens of lots and lots of hindsight yeah I mean uh, the one thing that's always forgotten about uh, the, the Skinner is he was uh, you know uh, he was kinfolk and his father was always really disappointed in him. That's the kind of fluff behind him. That, that the reason he wants to become a werewolf is to, you know, uh, please this patriarchal figure. That it might be more interesting to, look, like you say, go back to his roots and have a look at him in depth as a character without too much of this weirdness about him. I mean, uh, didn't he at one point as well break into a uh, a chantry and steal a, a magic branch off a tree that allowed him to cast true magic? I mean, whoa. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he was the best of being a vampire, a mage, and a and a werewolf, and it was just like whatever. Yeah, but I think uh, you guys uh, a few shows ago covered um, the Skinner uh, with Mark. You're saying yep. about stripping off the weirdness and just looking at it, each individual bit of the weirdness in its own right, rather than layer upon layer of uh, insaneness. So perhaps perhaps the Skinner's going to get more love. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, he's quite infamous. We'll have to see. But let's move on over to November 2012. We're just going to have uh, the first supplement for Mummy the Curse, which is going to be Guild Halls of the Deathless. It's going to be covering the factions of the mummies. Oh, hey, actually, they're called guilds. Interesting. 
could be an interesting throwback to uh, Wraith the Oblivion or just reusing the same name. I don't know. That sounds great. Even uh, It'll be interesting to see what kind of level of crossover there is between Mummy and uh, Geist, even, because right. I get the feeling they're going to be dealing with some of the same sort of uh, material. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like it's going to be a very nice uh, player resource more than a uh, storyteller resource. And it's also going to have, um, mm. they're going to be going back to the old style of putting parts of a, an SES adventure into each of the supplements, um, which is what they did with Orpheus and Promethean. I believe that's it. And then, of course, what uh, tons of people are excited about is Hunters Hunted 2. Absolutely. Oh, classic World of Darkness. A lot oh, of excitement yeah. for that. We'll have to see what happens. No Hunter the Reckoning style imbued, unfortunately. I'm very disappointed. Shame on you, White Wolf. You need to remember the Reckoning, the good and the bad, and put it in this book. I don't know. I really liked Hunter the Reckoning, but in a sense, I kind of like them going back to the roots with Hunters Hunted and keeping the imbued hunters out of the, the core books for other sets. Yeah, uh, for me, the, what I always liked about Hunters Hunted is I always felt that that book inspired that Year of the Hunter line. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Inquisition, um, Project uh, Twilight for Werewolf, you know, all these other spin-off books. That, I mean, Autumn People for Changeling. You know, things that, uh, you know, that really drove along these ideas of... Uh, mortals as protagonists and antagonists really and also in a sense they were it's like the first time sort of like the new world of darkness is a blue book where normal humans not supernatural at all could actually be player characters yeah mm. yeah it's gonna be huge and it's gonna be nice to see an update to uh say the special affairs division of the fbi uh from project twilight and updates to the arcanum maybe and all these other factions, which were part of the uh, Year of the Hunter line. They did have a small update in Hunter the Reckoning, actually, in the resource Hunter First Contact. But yeah, no, it's, it's always great to see updates. And speaking of updates, Mage of the Ascension Convention book, New World Order. Kick ass. Yeah. Hell Finally. fucking yeah. <laughs> I am really looking forward to seeing convention books out. It really will. It finally rounds out something that they started years ago with the Iteration Xbox, so to see these finally being done will essentially complete the Ascension line, perhaps just in time for uh, for Mace Ascension 20th anniversary, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. I think that the uh, the Iteration X book uh, was absolutely brilliant. Of all those kind of uh, splat books you could get for the old uh, World of Darkness Mage, that was one of, in my opinion, the best written one because it took a look at something that seemed to be like, okay, then they're cyborgs with big machine gun arms, and this is what they do, but really turned that on its head and had a look at it, the use of tools through humanity. Yeah, oh, brilliant, brilliant. If they do the same with the uh, the rest of the uh, the conventions, I'll be a happy man. Yeah, I really like the uh, New World Order. I mean, that's essentially what I played for um, a technocracy game. Um, so it will be a great read. And perhaps the one thing that will make me want to uh, really run Mage the Ascension again, because I think I think the technocracy, what with New Mage, I think te- the technocracy stand out as something that makes Mage the Ascension quite a lot more uh, unique to, say, Mage the Awakening, because of that main focus on enlightened science. And the technocracy as antagonists are very different to, say, the Sisman Throne. Indeed, good stuff. And then moving on over to December 2012, we have World of Darkness, God Machine Chronicle Fiction Anthology. 
I hope they come up with a better name than that, actually. <laughs> but I am very, very excited about this and the later Strix anthology and the Chronicles to go with them. I think this is a really cool throwback to some of the epic Chronicle books that they had for the Old World of Darkness, but hopefully you'll have some of the more modern sensibilities of the SAS format. And if they can do that, I think it's a win-win, and it's going to be some really cool Chronicles, really cool actual plays and all that kind of stuff for uh, both players and storytellers. So, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I mean, we don't have much information here. The the God Machine, of course, is featured in the World of Darkness core book and has been popping up a little bit here and there for eight years now. Eight years. There's been some talk on the on the White Wolf forums um, that there will be this book, um, along with another one, which I think is later on that we'll talk about, um, Essentially, on this idea that Richard Thomas was talking about in the last show about um, sample, you know, sample chronicles to run, and so there'll be some interesting uh, rule hacks, uh, sort of mirror style that'll be provided in this book. So it's nice to have something which would be um, non-canon to run, but still quite heavily tied in with all the stuff that's been listed about the World of Darkness books. Yeah, yeah. Just uh. One aside on this, guys, that uh, the Strix are coming that you put on the posterous pages, Chris. Those little creepy yeah. guys still haunt my dreams, man. <laughs> Those things are horrible. Yes, yes, they are. We'll have to put a link to that in the show notes so people can see the um, creatures of the night. Oh. And uh, next up, we've got W28 Book of Changing Breeds, a deeper look at the Farah building on the info in W20. So, in fact, the Farah are going to be in W20. We got the answer right there in the show notes. Whoops. So that's good to know that the uh, Pharaoh will be in W20 and we'll be getting an expansion book, uh, probably covering all the different gifts and the like, and their societies and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if the Pharaoh just get another reworking as well, I mean, these these things are a big part of uh, old werewolf, aren't they? So, and especially if they can come up with some way of tying them into uh, perhaps Werewolf the Forsaken with some more uh, interesting things. Do they have changing breeds in Werewolf the Forsaken? Well, um, in Werewolf the Forsaken... There is a book uh, that is, I think it is called Changing Breeds. Um, the, the difference is that um, the different shapeshifters that turn into other animals other than werewolves are not forsaken, so they're not, um, they're not tied into the cosmology in that sense, yet they're included because they're the other weird things that change shape into other animals or, or, or other types of werewolves. Because not all werewolves are forsaken, yet they still may or may not have the same sort of weaknesses. So you know, um, so you may get this very classic type werewolf, which will only transform when it's a full moon. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And then also we've got V20 Anarchs Unbound, which is a revisit of the old Anarch Cookbook from First Edition. I'm excited to see what they what they do and how it's different than the Guide to the Anarchs, which came out in Revised. That book was it had some good material, but also just had some like weird stuff kind of thrown in, like Anarch titles that were just kind of these silly shoehorned in kind of things. But there were still good ideas within them. Uh, I know what you mean there, Mike. Uh, didn't they have um, uh, East and West Coast fashion as well for uh, Anarchs chucked in there? So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to see them get back to the uh, the more chaotic roots, and uh, hopefully there'll be some some good content in there. 
Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what they do with this book as well. With the V20, it seems like they kind of kick back all the way to 2nd edition for a lot of their information. But with uh, obviously the changing times, I wonder what kind of anarchs we might start seeing, you know, what their ideas are. I wonder if they're going to be something like the uh, Carthians in Requiem. Mm. That would be interesting. Mm. Mm. Could be. And then, of course... In December 2012, at the very end of the list, we have Exalted 3rd Edition. I don't really want to dwell on this too much because we just mentioned it before earlier in the show, but uh, this could be a huge release. It, I'm sure it will be a huge release. And uh, I'm glad to see that Holden Shearer is still uh, working on it. And then the uh, the other original developer will also be working on Exalted 3rd. So, yeah, it's going to be big. I got one thing I want to add in real quick. I just kind of thought of with sure. the Exalted. Um Back when 4th edition D&D came out, didn't they give away Exalted for free for like a day or something? Just to kind of, almost as like a, a spite towards Wizards of the Coast? Oh yeah, I remember that. Like a joke against, uh, what is it, D&D Next or 5th edition or whatever? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they do. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be taking any big shots at the, uh, at the top dog. Or top dogs of uh, Paizo and which of the coast, no, 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 but... not so much a shot as like a friendly rivalry almost. Mm. Mm. I don't know. We'll have to see. But moving on to January, uh, there is Mummy the Curse, Book of the Deceived. Uh, it's going to be talking about the Six Lost Guild. Uh, it seems almost like it might be partially an antagonist book, um, but there's not much information here about it. And I mean, we'll have to see what Mummy the Curse is before we really can. Uh, can start pondering what these new books might be about. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, let's move on over to February. And here we go. Vampire the Requiem Strix Chronicle Fiction Anthology. Yes, another one. And the uh, Strix are also something that have really intrigued people, uh, fans of Vampire the Requiem, since they were first introduced. Should be good and should really lead up to the, uh, the Epic Chronicle book that they'll be putting out as well. Am I right in thinking that these Strix are like spirits that feed on vampires? Is that correct? Um, no, uh, the Strix are... Uh, how do we describe them right? So in Requiem for Rome, the Strix are rumoured and, and are related to and may well be the origin of the Julii, um, who, are, who are and aren't the Ventrude. Okay? Now, the Strix are quite tightly uh, interwoven in the Requiem for Rome setting. And what the Strix are able to do is possess vampires. So they're innately uh, tied to uh, the vampire feast. And they're able to take over the vampire. The vampire is very aware of what's going on, and the Strix are able to go about um, doing what they want, and even embracing people. Now, those people that are embraced, are then uh, embraced into, I think they can even be embraced into the Julii bloodline uh, without even, even if that vampire is, say, a gangrel. It's, it's quite complicated. I need to read up on them again. Um, and then the Strix were reintroduced in, uh, I'm trying to think uh, which Requiem books. Uh, they're in the Ventry Clan book. Uh, and they're also introduced uh, with a few rules changes in Night Horrors. 
the which one is that one? Night Horrors something something, which is the one with all the different monsters. Other va- other things which are vampires that aren't vampires, uh, which aren't sorry, which aren't uh, typical Requiem kindred. Um, now the um, the fun thing with the strips then is that they apparently return to collect something. So they're, they're again it reinforces the, the idea that they're related to the friends uh, group. So um, yeah, they're great. I love them, um, and they're a great uh, way of uh, tying into uh, vampire the, the rules for spirits, and so a quite an interesting kind of. Uh, Antagonist for say uh, the Circle of the Throne because of course in the Circle of the Throne book there are particular views of whether the Throne uh, how well the Throne know and understand how spirits work so even the Throne are described as just lying about it and thinking they're doing it right or they half know the proof or they can actually command spirits so there's a lot to, to play about with there. They sound really cool. So. They are really wicked. They they really bring back the kind of the classic idea of the uh, the the Greek um, vampires, the Lamia. Okay. Okay. I mean, um, some of the the things you were describing there, that uh, the idea that they're possessing vampires, uh, ties into a little bit to the. Uh, if you remember Vicissitude in the uh, the Storyteller's Guide to the Sabbat, uh, first edition, there was always the idea that it was a uh, a kind of uh, an extraterrestrial disease that then possesses vampires. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. Hmm. Cool. And uh, next up we have W20 Rage Across the World. It's going to be similar to the V20 Companion. And it's going to type a lot of loose ends from the W20 book and provide some uh, more information about the uh, story of the guru. Should be a nice little companion. Uh, I was never a really big fan of the Rage Across uh, when, back in the day, but I've picked up a couple of them recently, like Rage Across Appalachia. So uh, that was quite insi- insightful. So uh, maybe a reworking of that that could be interesting. If it's anything like the V twenty companion, it's going to be a lot of like, like a couple paragraphs on each location, which may be just uh, enough to really kind of, you know, whet your appetite and, and maybe just get you like interested in what you could do with that area. Uh, like Appalachia, for example, that was the one that was a crossover between Werewolf and Changeling the Dreaming, correct? Yeah, that's the one. Hmm. And then the other thing that I uh, put down here, of course, is uh, Exalted Arms of the Chosen. And I just want to bring up that this is going to have a section dedicated to the War Striders in Exalted. And if this gives us rules which can be applicable to the uh, World of Darkness for giant robots, I'm totally there, man. I'm going to totally convert those. It's going to be amazing. And then I won't have to buy any more Cthulhu Tech books because I'll just play uh, this weird Exalted World of Darkness crossover thing. I see I'm getting no response uh, from Chris regarding that, but whatever. Sorry, I'm just messing about with things. My, my uh, screen's kind of uh, frozen up here with, with something. So, because um, some other people have been trying to join into the Hangout, so I was wondering whether we should uh, somehow pause the Hangout here and invite some other people in. Sure, go ahead. So, we'll just call it there for halfway and we'll see what happens. This is obviously a trial run. This is a, this is new technocracy uh, tech being tried out. <laughs> and we're back! Darker Days Radio. Now we've got uh, Mike Holland and Ian Watson. Um, so, we got some new people here in the uh, hangout with us. And we're going to keep going through. 
the release schedule, I guess. Yeah, so um, you said we got to Exalted 3rd Edition Arms of the Chosen, so we're on uh, February next year. So, um, dedicated to War Striders. Yes, that's going to be awesome. Hopefully, yeah, we'll see how those all kind of work with the new Exalted 3rd Edition rules when that one turns up. Uh, because Giant Mechs in Exalted are awesome. Um, I've personally not used Mechs in my own games, but I think it'd be nice to be able to use them if the rules are less clunky, I think. Because mm. um, there's, so, there's so much, I mean, it, the rules for War Striders are complicated enough, uh, let alone fixing them and making them and empowering them, and yeah. Uh, it'll be cool to see that, because we like giant robots. Another aspect I'm really looking forward to is artifacts with their own charms, such that when you use the artifact, you sort of gain their charms, which is nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, especially if they uh, start allowing you to... Uh, does anybody remember how they always talked about how you could uh, uh, like make all your uh, war striders like, combine, in, like, a bit like Starfleet? Um, oh, I think there was something there was like of, that. Yeah. There was lots of hints, but never any kind of fully fleshed-out rules. I, I hope there's something like that, because I'd love to see something like that. Wait, like Voltron? <laughs> That's just what it sounded like. <laughs> Exalted did have some pretty crazy Power Ranger esque madness in there in places. Nice. <laughs> anyway, Shards of the Exalted hot. Dream Two, Voltron. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, it'd be crazy if they come up with something like Exalted in space, where you just go to another world. So, I'm sure that's somewhere in the list of things to do. Um, I mean, like I have really... Darkness Eve. I had a really um, kind of crazy idea for um, Exalted, which I never got around to running, which was um, to do with Warspawn and uh, having Autothon, the entire um, the entire sphere of Autothon, uh, push into uh, the realm, into into the world of Exalted. So it would be a second moon. So literally a Death Star slash Unicron slash. Yeah, you go from there. Or kind of, um, did you ever see the crazy CGI series called uh, Battle Planets? Or it was Base of the Toys called that. And so, again, it had a giant world in it, and that would eat other planets. So that was my idea for Exalted, is actually have Autobahn physically there. Have you read Shards of the Exalted Dream? Because there is one uh, one shard that is very much like that. Oh, right. Well, no, I've not read that, but I would, okay. that, that is basically was my idea. So if someone's already written that up, that's great. It's called uh, Gunstar Autochthonia, which is sort of Battlestar Galactica sort of idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, um, on that note, talking about a machine god, we can talk about the god machine again. Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, so we, we mentioned the fiction anthology before, and mm. now I was pretty excited about seeing you know, this fiction anthology along with the uh, kind of epic chronicle uh, 264 pages of Epic Chronicle that's going to be coming out, and it's going to be setting the stage for Demon the Triple Question Mark, uh, which we re- released uh, later in 2013. So, uh, pretty huge stuff. And um, I don't know, we're joined by two more people right now. So, do you guys have any uh, insights or excitement or or ponderings regarding this uh, possible chronicle? I'm looking forward to it. All right. I, I mean, I. It's it's something which caught a lot of people's interest right from the get-go. I believe it's on page 27 of the uh, the World of Darkness core book. 
and it's been sort of sprinkled throughout books since then. Uh, it was in Prometheus uh, Pandora's book. It was in, uh, there's a, a covenant based on them in Dance Macabre. So it's it's nice to see it sort of get center stage. And uh, it, from what I've heard, this is sort of, the World of Darkness were to get sort of a second edition. These are the sorts of things that would be in it. Not having a second edition, this is pretty much the best we're getting. Yeah, well, it's very interesting, and uh, can't wait to see it. And then next up, we're going to have Mage the Ascension Convention Book Progenitors, which um, I think, and this is is unconfirmed, I think David Hill might allegedly possibly be working on this. Yes. Maybe. He said he was working on a convention book that had lab coats, and that certainly doesn't sound new world order. Well, the Void Engineers... You know, engineers can wear lab coats. I wore one the other day at work, so hey. Void Engineers is still a little further down the line, so probably not that one, I would assume. And uh, let's face it, Void Engineers are really just ethernauts. You know, mm. those things that are, you know, you know madcap uh, space-faring fellows rather than, uh, you know, uh, lab coat-wearing boffins. Yeah. Not to knock lab coat-wearing uh, boffins, <laughs> but, you know. I don't know, it should be good. I mean, um, it's it's another in the line of convention books. Not much else to say about it other than it's well-deserved at this point. Cool. So uh, moving on from there, let's go on into April 2013 with Mummy the Curse, Sothis Ascends, which is going to be the third supplement for Mummy the Curse. Um, and this is, uh, uh, yes, this talks about the uh, cycle of life and death of the mummies. So I'm not sure if it's going to be more of a player supplement or a storyteller supplement, uh, maybe a mixture of both. Left we'll to see. Yeah, hopefully a little bit of both. Mm, indeed. If you check on Wikipedia, look up Sothic Cycle. A Sothic Cycle of the 1,461 Egyptian years, uh, or 1,460 Julian years. So that might have something to do with the. Uh, have a life cycle rather than uh, you're just uh, eternal, and then you get killed, and like the uh, mm. the older mummies here. Okay. Uh, I like the way honestly, it's described as... Sorry, after you. I was just going to say, honestly, I was kind of hoping uh, for something from Lord Soth, from Dragonlance or Ravenloft, but... Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I, I like the way it's described as being one part grab bag of artifacts, powers and antagonists. That sounds uh, really intriguing as well. So. And uh, then we've got V20 Rites of the Blood. It's going to be a lot of uh, <laughs> blood magic, thaumaturgy, and... Talmahera Rituals, which could be very interesting. <laughs> I'm yeah, always yeah, up for more yeah. Dirty Seekers of the Black Hand action. And even something on the Inkanu, perhaps. It's always nice to get a little bit more. Uh, I, You know, there's a lot of Thaumaturgy stuff already out there, so... Yeah, but Thaumaturgy is one of those things that needs a lot of material behind it. How many, like, uh, books in, say, like, uh, old-fashioned AD&D that were just dedicated to um, magical items and magic? You know, is it Unearthed Arcana? Uh, is one thing that springs to mind. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious uh, when it comes to that book to see whether it's uh, just a, an updating to the V20 rules or if they're going to take the time to uh, put any new material into it. Because uh, there's been a lot of, there's been a leeway, the 10-year leeway since the, uh, the last uh, Vampire books came out. You know, any new ideas to throw out there kind of thing? I can guarantee yeah. you there will be some new material in there. All right. Well, there we go. You heard it here first. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll hold you to that. And then next up we have Exalted the Realm. I don't think we're really going to talk about this that much. It's more Exalted stuff, guys. This is a World of Darkness podcast. Come on. 
(laughs) (laughs) Because next up, after that, in May 2013, is the Mage Translation Guide. Finally. That'll be really cool to see happen. Um, I mean, there are so many... uh, to see the traditions be using the mage, uh, the awakening rule set. I mean, I think this is possibly one of the longest anticipated translation guides that there is, really. Mm. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you there, because uh, I'm really curious. Because uh, there's always that uh, the crowd has kind of a love-hate relationship with the new mage, and uh, how excited people might get bringing the uh, you know the flavor of the old one and using the new rules and, and mashing them together. And uh, I know this is definitely one that I've been looking forward to myself. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested in seeing what they do. Uh, of all the game lines, mage and uh, the two mages seem like uh, very very different. And as a uh, side note, 2013 is the 20th anniversary of Mage the Ascension, so it is thematically appropriate. Yeah, well, all these books are just all building up up to this, really, aren't they? That we're, you know, we are going to have a, 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 um, an M20. Uh, I, I, if they didn't, I think people would be in the streets of, of Atlanta baying for people's blood. Cannot be confirmed <laughs> yet. We'll need to see how the sales of W20 go. That hasn't gone on sale yet, so can't make that decision. I noticed uh, Rich hinted at it, though, in the uh, the last uh, release announcement, and he kind of teased us a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Rich's tease. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, the other thing that month is going to be the Book of the Worm for W20. And um, we were kind of discussing, when we talked about uh, W20 in the first part of the show, like how is this is going to be updated how the worm is going to change with uh 21st century kind of sensibilities so uh uh ian or mike like uh what do you think about that what are you excited to see black dog game factory so i guess black dog game factory will be updated to be doing print on demand uh vile um pdfs that uh, infiltrate people's minds and drive them mad excellent oh, Mm. Yeah, more coffee table books. That's what Black Dot Games actually knock out. Stuff that you can just leave lying around the house for kids and your mum to pick up, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a whole new realm of evil, especially with the whole uh, transmedia experience going on and, and how things are changing. Uh, the way Eddie uh, gets into that, I definitely see uh, a lot of fun potential there. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, if you guys remember in the old... Um, uh, Pentex thing. There was that. Uh, is it the Telus system, which was a, a, a kind of evil computer game that made your uh, a computer game system that mm-hmm. makes you go slightly insane, which is based on like a PlayStation. So it'd be interesting to see if they uh, then advance that kind of uh, along as uh, along the line as well. See if that gets another reworking. So. Like the the Worm Play Network. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, no, no. It was um, it was a uh, 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 what the hell was it called? Uh, Tell us. That's all I remember. It was a, a computer game system that you played things like, is it Gore Smasher 13 or something that was um, uh, exposure to this over long periods of time turned kids into Fomori. So. It's those violent video games. Yeah, exactly. This is ex- exactly what they were tapping into at the time. So. Awesome. Good stuff. After that, in uh, June 2013, we're going to see for Vampire the Requiem, The Strix Chronicle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a really, really cool book to see for Vampire. Uh, again, it it might be the thing that people have been 
crying out for with the complaints that Vampire the Requiem doesn't isn't deep enough and doesn't have enough plot there for it, and to have a book which goes here's a whole load of plot, use it, um, and the strips you know go all the way back to Requiem for Rain, so it should be enough for people to get their teeth into and uh, to really put to use. You know, if they if they really don't know what to run for um, for Requiem. Sorry, I'm just looking at the uh, the fact that the first YouTube video is already up online uh, from, oh, nice. from the first half, so it's already there um, and it looks quite good. Anyway, um, and then what have we got after Strix Chronicle, or what else do people want to say about Strix Chronicle? Just it's looking forward to it. Kids. Yeah, it's tough to talk about these Chronicles before they come out. It's like, you know, back in 1995 when you saw Giovanni Chronicle Volume 1, you're just like, oh, that's going to be cool. Yes. Well, well the difference is the uh, the Giovanni Chronicles, uh, the Bruja Chronicle. Well, I don't think that one ever came out, but the yeah, Venture Chronicle. Yeah. Those were sort of adventures that mixed in with the existing meta plot. Right. The New World of Darkness doesn't have meta plot, so this is just sort of optional plot. Like, if you have the Vampire Rulebook and you look at it and you go, "Okay, this is exciting, but I need some direction. What do I do?" Now you have a built-in chronicle that you can play along if you want, but if you want to ignore it, it's not going to affect any additional books down the line. Do you think it ties into this idea that uh, sometimes the New World of Darkness is described as not having a kind of shared experience? My experience of the New World of Darkness and yours can be very different because there's no real kind of commonalities between it that you can take one thing and say, hey, have you played the Strix Chronicles? So yeah, 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 and just have this common, a common touchstone that people can talk about. Kind of along the same lines, I was curious about it because my understanding of the Strix was that they've always been presented as sort of a mysterious faction or group. Like, there's no correct answer of what they are, what their goals are. So how would yeah. a Chronicle handle that? Um, I mean, would it be answering questions about the, you know, the Requiem history, like giving a true answer? And It doesn't necessarily have to. I'm, a lot of Requiem for Rome was about the Strix, and we still didn't learn anything about them. <laughs> yeah, and the Strix turn up in, as I say, in the Venturi clan book, and they also turn up in the Night Horse book, and then you have to deal with the fact of how the Strix interact with, say, the Circle of the Crone, whether the Circle of the Crone's rights actually work, or it's just them pissing around. Um, you know, so the Strix Chronicle book, I can imagine, will go, here are some facts that, for this Chronicle, this is true, this is false. Everything that was in all the previous books where it was left up to the, to the storyteller, this book would go, if you choose these, if you use all these as facts, this is how the Chronicle works. And it gives you something a little bit more um, solid to work off. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was curious about, because, I mean, would it be dictating which, for the Chronicle anyway, which facts are true, or would it be incorporating possibilities think, from all of them? I think that's what the idea I got from Richard in the last, uh, in the previous podcast, what the idea he was getting at was, it's kind of like, it shows you, it gives you an example uh, remix of the setting, mm. and tells you how to take all these little bits of ideas that are in different books and put them together. It would even tell you, to run this, you may also want this book and use it in this manner. It's, it's very similar to, um, say, to choose a, different, uh, a game by a completely different company. If you look at um, Cthulhu's Head, they have a metaplot book which tells you all the events that happened in that year 
for that setting, and it pushes on the meta plot. And it, it's exactly how these are the facts, this is how it all goes down, and this is how your characters can interact with it. But without that book, the setting is the setting, and stuff is left up in the air. But you know, if you use that book, it gives you something very solid to work with. Mm-hmm. That's a good example. And the next one of those books comes out at Gen Con for those of us who are going. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about um, one of the earlier books, uh, Seven, and uh, possibly uh, Belial's Brood, and how it kind of gives you the, uh, you know, the uh, smorgasbord menu, and you know, you pick and choose and build your chronicles. That's kind of what I like to see the, uh, with the Strix uh, Chronicle book. Uh, and it has a large page count, so maybe that is what we're going to get. Yeah, it might have three different chronicles in it. You never know. But yes, uh, so excited to see. And uh, next up on the release schedule is Major the Ascension Convention Book Syndicate. Yet another convention book. It's good to see they're finally coming out. I mean, after all this time. Hmm. Yeah, I have been looking forward to these for the last decade. <laughs> yep. Yep. I feel the are there. I mean, I hope these guys uh, again get another decent rework in the way that Iteration X did, because they were always a bit skimmed over that they're the dudes with the money. Let's have a little bit more uh, interesting uh, back, you know. Yeah, It'll exactly. be significantly more interesting uh, to see the write-up done in a kind of a post, you know, crunch, uh, you know, credit crunch era, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be interesting to see how Syndicate written up with respect to, like, the Eurozone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be a really fun book. Um, and I think it'll be a great book to use in conjunction with, say, um, the Seas of the Throne, and if you use uh, the uh, Mammon, the guys on the Seas mm-hmm. of the Throne, they're like the sixth group, which are arising. Anything else on the Syndicate? Nope. Moving on, we got Exalted the Dragon-Blooded. No surprise. It's yeah. the other thing <laughs> you definitely need to have come out very early on for um, an edition of Exalted. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, Dragon-Blooded usually come out soon after a core book. So let's move on over to July 2013 with the Demon Translation Guide, which is going to translate from Demon of the Fallen to Demon of the Triple Question Mark and vice versa. Uh, very cool and great promotional tool since it'll be coming out a month before the new core game. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of cements the idea that the whatever the new Demon game is will be somewhat similar to the old. Well, yeah, not necessarily. As, as much as Mage of the Ascension and Mage of the Awakening are. I guess it would allow you to at least use what be what some may consider a preferred rule set, being you know the new ones of Darkness rule set, but have all the powers just translated. Yet it, ha- it doesn't mean you can translate the setting content directly, because um, there's different ways you can use the translation guides. You could either go here's Demon the Fallen using new ones of Darkness rule set, or here's stuff from Demon the Fallen you uh, but being used the new version of Demon, or vice versa here is new version of Demon also using content from Demon of Fallen and Ideas. So, uh, yeah. Oh, wow, we've got Rusty Wraith. Well, what I meant is uh, sort of in a sense like uh, between Wraith and uh, Geist, uh, they're not connected, but, uh, you know, they're completely different uh, Mm. settings and worlds. So a translation guy would be very difficult for those two games. Excellent. Hey, Russ, uh, is there anything you want to say about the Strix Chronicle? We just finished talking about that. Hey, Russell, how are you? I think he's getting attacked by a cat right now, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like it. 
<laughs> I like your new hair, Russell. You just throw that out there. I don't have any volume from him. Any uh, I can't hear anything. Uh-oh. He might be talking about the Strix Chronicle right now and, like, revealing all these secrets about it, and we just can't hear him. <laughs> and still they remain a mystery. Yeah. I think I got some static from him. We can't hear you, Russell. Sorry. I, he's <laughs> typing in the chat. Okay. Uh, anyway. Very well, but I want to move on to the next item, which is okay. Mage of the Ascension convention book, Void Engineers. Yeah! <laughs> it's going to be amazing! Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think. Cool. I don't know. I mean, I've never actually used the Void Engineers for anything, but they're just so ridiculous that there's going to well, be some good no, ideas the void, in there. The Void Engineers are brilliant. Without the Void Engineers, uh, you know, Wraith would still be carrying along merrily without Xerxes Jones dropping his load right in the middle of the labyrinth. Mm. So. <laughs> Yes, that is a very, very good point. And I think they definitely need some updates because the first edition convention book, I flipped through it and it was just like this weird, like, Star Trek kind of thrown together thing. It was pretty weird. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it because it, for me, it's the way that it was that conversation of a void engineer and a, a, a was it a spirit and a dream speaker? Because the, 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 uh, how the Void Engineer thought he got there using science and going through his magical machine to take him through these different layers of the Umbra, where the the uh, the, the Dream Walk was just like you know, sorry, the Dream Speaker was just there, you know, you know, astrally projecting there and they're having a conversation. It was quite interesting because it was you know, you know, there's no it's, there's no hassle, no gone. It's also kind of within the same story, if I remember. Um, I've not read that, but I, I do. I'm aware of it, where the Void Engineer is obviously wearing a, uh, a hazard suit, so. Yep, you think yep. there's no air there and so forth. Exactly. And yet the dream speaker's there pretty much in a loincloth going, hey, how you doing? Do you want to hang out with my burning fire in this spirit? And like, yeah, okay. that's it. That's the one. Uh, so I always had a lot of love for them because I think they were overlooked somewhat, but never mind. Good stuff. And moving on, we have August 2013, Demon, the triple question mark. All right. The Warthog, the Chihuahua, as we're seeing online. Yep. Yeah. Demon, they're not so bad. Just misunderstood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Demon, the under the misunderstood. Yeah, that's it. I think we got it right there. Any uh, little snippets you want to share with us, Ian? Uh, you seem to have a. You're a little bit on the closer on the inside track than we are. Yes, as of uh, a month or two ago, I am. Uh, I'm managing the Onyx Path website, so I do have a bit of an inside track on some of this, but. Uh, stuff like this, um, yeah, I'm sorry, you guys are out of luck. There's nothing I can tell you. That doesn't quick, mean somebody... there's nothing I know, but there's nothing I can tell you. Yeah, quick, somebody drive over there and put the pressure on him. On. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> right. Is it possible you might be able to tell us if it's something like a, like with a Promethean or Changeling where it's kind of a, a short series, or if you plan on making it longer, or is that still out of bounds? No, I can't tell you. Okay. I can tell you up to the end of August, which is one book. <laughs> I do know till the end of December, but I'm not not allowed to say anything. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Now, are are you going to Gen Con this year, Ian? Oh God, no! I, I'd love to, but I haven't been in since 2000. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll get you drunk if you're wearing it. We'll see what we can learn. <laughs> <laughs> just ship it directly to my house we'll see what happens I don't know if you guys are monitoring the chat Chris is stepping out for a minute 
Uh, that's that's okay. We can handle it without him. Okay. We can handle it. Because next up, we got to talk about V20 Blood Diaries of the Clans. Uh, looks like it's going to be a compilation of clan book style entries with combo disciplines of all things, which uh, I was never a big fan of, but eh, if it floats your boat, whatever. That's cool. Yeah, my only worry about that is whether or not it's just going to be a rehash of old material, or are we going to get some genuinely new material out of that? So, uh, or, are they, uh, or are they going to take the same approach that they did for uh, Vampire the Dark Ages with a leap of sanguineous and give you a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a decent overview of each one of the clans? So. I know uh, V20 kind of uh, strips out some of the meta plot and then plays around with it and whatnot, but I'd really like to see, uh, like in a book like Blood Diaries, like what each clan is doing going into the, the new millennium. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to see, you know, how things are developing, because uh, so much is changing in the real world. I mean, I, I can't imagine where uh, a clan like the Venture or the, uh, especially the Setites, what they're doing in a, an era like this. Well, I can't speak for what the plans of the V20 crew are, but at least with the Exalted crew, they're very adamant that if, for example, you get the new Dragon-Blooded book, it's not like they're forcing you to buy the same book over again. They are including new material, new perspectives on things, so it is actually worthwhile to you to get the new books. So I, I can't say if Vampire is doing the same thing, but I'm pretty sure they don't want you to just feel ripped off. Like, why bother getting this when I already have all the client books, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's, that's a good. Cool. That's that's cool. Yeah. All right, guys. So I uh, that's all the products. We 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 exhausted the list. Rust uh, in chat is saying that he has a few things to say about Demon, but because his microphone isn't working, he has to stay silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is on the Demon team. Oh, Sign, dude. Sign it. Sign it. <laughs> that's actually that, that's actually really cool to hear because I, I like Russell's work. So, uh, yeah, let's get some uh, closing comments and all this stuff. Uh, Of course, Russell, uh, Ian, and Mike were not here at the uh, first half of the show. So if you guys have anything to say, I guess now's the time. Any, any, like, general feelings on how the the release schedule is looking? Are you guys disappointed that there's no, I don't know, adventure products or (laughs) something like that? Russ says Demon's being developed by him and Matt McFarland. What? Yeah. But but Matt was just on our show and we were talking about Inferno and he didn't even say anything about this. <laughs> no. <laughs> was that before or after the release schedule came out? Uh long, long before. Well, that would be why. He could have he could have dropped a hint. He dropped a hint about the Mage the Awakening book. The left handed paths. Well that w- that had already been mentioned a-, a month or two ago. Yeah, it was mentioned on our show. Yeah, that's right. Drop a hint, okay. we just never caught it. <laughs> I just I'm I'm just saying I feel betrayed. That's it. Looks like Chris uh, invited some more people. Uh, yeah, I've just um, added uh, James into the call, uh, who Steve and I do our, um, our chronicle design dark things with, so um, hopefully he'll pop in. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll let everyone else talk about um, the release schedule, because obviously I've already spoken loads. Hmm. But I just want to say I was very happy when I saw this release schedule uh, because we've kind of had books coming out sporadically for a couple of years now, you know, based on the changes going on with the company and everything and whatnot. And uh, when I first saw the release schedule, I was just taken back by the sheer volume of material we're getting. I mean, this really looks like White Wolf of Great from the past. And, uh, and I was just happy to see so much coming out. And then especially for things like Exalted and whatnot. And, uh, and just to tease a little bit, uh, 
can't spill anything. Knowing what's coming, too, I'm excited to see how all of you react when the rest of these announcements start coming up. But uh, we're not oh, allowed yeah. to talk about that. <laughs> Almost exactly two years ago was uh, the release of World of Darkness Mirrors, where White Wolf first said, look, this is going to be the last traditionally produced product. This is the last thing you're going to find in stores. And from that point on, it was all PDF print-on-demand. And it's taken a couple of years for White Wolf to get back on its feet for to figure out exactly how things are going to get made from now on. And then there was uh, Black Wednesday in October, which didn't help matters. But now that we sort of know where we are, know what we're doing, we can take off with both feet running and we can start producing more, better stuff again. I think the only people not happy about this uh, release schedule is my wallet and my girlfriend. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I was reading up on the, uh, I can't remember if it was the V20 Companion or the V20, the Kickstarter site, and it seemed like a lot of people, uh, particularly for the new World of Darkness, were getting disappointed or angry that a lot of material wasn't that they didn't know what was coming out anytime recently so i'm i'm impressed that this schedule is so so vast dense material for both mm -hmm. old and new world of darkness well that's part of the thing that is so great about the pdf print on demand the the methodology because in a with a traditional print uh with retailers you have uh, a limited shelf space to worry about so you can only put out so many books before you start competing with yourself. That's one of the reasons why they mostly focused on the New World of Darkness, because they couldn't compete with themselves and they had limited space. With DriveThruRPG, the shelf space is essentially unlimited. So we can have both World of Darknesses because they both sell. So if we have people willing to buy it, we have people willing to write it, we have a place to sell it, why not do it, right? Oh, I just mean in the sense that the, I think the V20 line or the anniversary line had, you know, things out to like next year or something, two years away, uh, down to Hunter's Hunter 2. But for a while, uh, the New World of Darkness line, it didn't seem like anything was being uh, displayed for, you know, past like a month or so. Oh, no, no. We, uh, the, New World Darkness had, the New World of Darkness had quite the schedule by itself. Part of that, uh, I was going to say, uh, I'm glad that this new website is, is going up with uh, a core place to find information because I think part of the problem we were dealing with before is it was hard to get information about what was coming out when. And, you know, mm. we would, like, personally, I would follow tweets, I'd follow Google, I'd follow Facebook, you know, I'd, I'd look at the blogs and try and piece together where everything is coming from. And uh, it, it seems to me like this website uh, might be a good uh, tool to, uh, to be getting all of that kind of stuff out there, like the release schedule, you know, one place for everyone to look to see what's going on. Russell says with Black Wednesday, it took Rich and I some time to sort out the Requiem schedule. And people may have noticed uh, right after Black Wednesday, everything on the release schedule started being one month, maybe two months even behind. But now we're, we're much more secure about where we are and we have a better idea. So if we say this is coming out in August, we, we can pretty much say it's coming out in August, unless something weird and unexpected happens. But it's, it's, uh, you know, it's relieving as a fan to know that you've got all this bulk of the material coming out and the, you know, all these games line aren't just going to pitter out into nothing and then suddenly, you know, oh, you know, well, we're closing the doors, we're not going to do anything anymore. So that's quite cool. A lot of what it is is sales. We can very, very quickly and very easily see exactly what is selling now. That's a little less easy to do uh, from a retailer perspective with traditional mm -hmm. printing because with traditional printing, you 
you create 10,000 books, you ship out 10,000 books, and then you have to wait for retailer reports to see exactly what's selling. So if, someone's, if someone doesn't send in any reports or whatever, you just don't know what's going on. Now you, it's a click of a button to look it up on drive-thru. So if you want more books for something, buy existing books. The reason Exalted Schedule is so nice is because the last several products have, like uh, Shards of the Exalted Dream got to Platinum in four days, and it stayed at the top of the charts for who knows how long. Masters, uh, sorry, uh, was it Masters of Jade? That's yes. the name of the Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one, I don't think it got up to Platinum, but it was at the top of the charts for like two weeks straight. So if you want books, buy books. It, it's, it's as easy as that. If you want more mage books, buy the next mage book. If you want more werewolf books, buy werewolf books. Yeah. Uh, just one quick question uh, from a consumer point of view that I've just recently picked up uh, Geist Sin Eaters and just noticed that uh, the book there has a, a, a white border around it and my friend picked up uh, Masters of Jade that also has a white border around it. I wonder if uh, whereas the old um, print books were uh, printed to the very edge and that was done for the V20 uh, book. Is that, is that something we're going to see returned as well, or is this whiteboard of the future? Uh, that is an, a side effect of the print-on-demand, uh, like the way print-on-demand works. Mm -hmm. uh, it's well, the the printer that Drive-Through RPG uses specifically, with black and white, they don't have full bleed on pages, so you'll get that quarter inch of white. With full color, you will get full bleed. So if if possible, and you get a full bleed, sorry, a full color book, it'll go to the edge of the pages. Now we might be able to change that at some point in the future, but for right now, that's what we have to deal with. No, that's okay. As long mm -hmm. as uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of feedback that I was looking for. Are they still using Lightning Source as the POD printer? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because when I got the first couple of POD books. They didn't have that white border, but what occurred was uh, the pages were a little crooked when they were cut, and as a result, there was like this kind of white edge on like maybe maybe like one quarter of the side of the book, uh, oh. that kind of thing. It was like this weird printing error that occurred, and uh, I, I've kind of figured that um, the reason why they don't do full bleed is they can avoid that. Um, it's yeah. entirely possible. I don't know how they do things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had some problems with my first few Exalted books and whatnot. I remember sending uh, pictures to Matt McElroy and, and talking with him about it, and uh, he was working pretty hard to get that kind of problem eliminated. Uh, and every now and then you get something. Like I've got the new uh, Exalted, uh, the new book that just came out, and uh, like the front cover bends around the side of the spine. And uh, so there are going to be little things like that all along the way. No process is perfect, but we're trying. Yeah. Well, it's definitely nice because uh, I mean the whole pod concept I think is really cool, and uh, it's a great it's a great thing for uh, White Wolf to be uh, fully invested in as it is, uh, you know, exactly like you were talking about earlier, Ian. So I, w I won't rehash it, but uh, I'm pretty happy. I think more companies should do this, like uh, like uh, Cthulhu Tech, which was mentioned earlier. I think they need to be going to uh, something like this to get they their will books be out there. actually. They announced that the new book is going to be POD Burning Horizon. Oh, really? Yeah. Good. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm excited to see that. Cool. Stuff, Sorry, guys. I'm done talking. I'm <laughs> rambling. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, do we have anything else to discuss? Like any? I mean, we have Ian here. We have we have Russell in the the text chat, <laughs> so you can ask him questions. Russell did throw out earlier just to make sure his notes aren't missed. Uh, the feedback loop for working electronically is vastly nicer, and uh, even as I'm not as in as they are, obviously, but even talking to Rich and those guys uh, and keeping up to date with information. Everything just works so much faster. 
All right. Well, I think uh, I think the episode's kind of dying down a bit, so I think we'll uh, move on to the closing of the show. Uh, one thing we have to announce, of course, is that we're going to have another Darker Days contest coming up. So this is going to be for Falling Scales Part 2. Uh, it's going to be a, a free PDF copy. And what we want people to do is submit to darkerdaysradio at gmail.com, our email address, a name for the Darker Days mascot. That's the uh, guy in the headphones of our Darker Days logo. So if we get a cool name, maybe a little two, three sentence description of them, uh, we'd really appreciate that. And the best one will be officially canonized as the Dark Days mascot, and you'll get a free copy of the book. Um, uh, another thing, because we have James on here right now, is um, we have uh, now two... I say they, I call them guilds, but anyway. Uh, it'd be cool if anyone is playing um, the secret world right now, because... If you want to go monster hunting, uh, both myself and James have uh, appropriate characters for some of the factions on there. So if people want to kind of, you know, hunt things or, no, what is it, hunt people and save monsters, as I like to put it, um, it'd be really cool to see some people online for that because it's good fun. And, yeah, and we can, we can do a bit of RP because it seems like a really great setting for that type of thing. So, uh, yeah. I'm not familiar with that. What is that? The Secret uh, World, you said? The Secret World. It's a nice... Uh, it's an MMO. It's quite combat-based. Um, and it gives the right feel. Kind of, It's a bit more kind of... I would say it's a bit more Cthulhu-like, but it's really good fun, and it certainly fills a void right now while we eagerly await World Darkness Online, of course. Um, because... You know, this you get to play humans, and it's gonna, that's very from, from playing vampires, which we'll eventually get to do. So I'm looking forward to that. Interesting. If it's in the show notes, I'll check it out. I'd like to uh, also ask uh, any of the listeners that if you've got any questions for me and Adrian for the Dark Ages Storyteller Advice section to uh, get in contact with us at miragearcana.com just to give us any feedback or any questions you've got there. That would be great. Um, and I think we can we can uh, second that for the Chronicle Design series. Uh, again, uh, just uh, email either Stephen or email us at darkadays at gmail.com, darkadaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, again, you know, we've got Facebook, we've got Google Plus. I mean, ideally, please just use a few places. So either the email or even preferably the posterous will will even um, will. Uh, We'll link Mike. We'll link the videos on Phosphorus so that people can continue the, the discussion there. Sure thing. Yeah, it'd be nice to see a few more faces on the Phosphorus page as well. There's a, a, a burgeoning community starting there that uh, get some interesting discussions started. So it'd be interesting to have a, a few more voices to the uh, to the crowd. Yeah. Um, and on a final thing, which is kind of hopefully a preview of things to come, uh, I will hopefully later this evening and then tomorrow um, I'll finish off my Venice setting and upload that for people to uh, have as a bit of Darker Days DLC. So that's a entire Chronicle setting for Venice for Changing the Lost as I now have finally come up with the last power for the Court of Carnival. Cool. Cool. It's the doozy. <laughs> Yeah, I recall whenever I was deployed, I was looking through your, I think it was a Word document you sent me, and it looked really nice. Yeah, it's taken a long time to write, but it's good to see it done. And, yeah, it'd be nice to make some shorter content that people can download for free. Mm. 
Good stuff. All right, guys. I think that concludes the first Darker Days Hangout episode, episode number 37. Uh, it'll be on both YouTube and we'll uh, set this up as a MP3 episode on the regular iTunes or RSS feed, I should say. So, uh, of course, uh, check us out on Facebook, Darker Days Radio, uh, Twitter, Darker Days Radio, Posturus at darkerdays.posturus.com. And uh, just get in touch uh, if you want to leave us some feedback or suggestions, anything like that. Uh, just send an email. It's always good. So I want to thank everyone that's uh, been in the chat and uh, hang out this evening. Uh, Chris, of course. Ian. James. Bye-bye. Joe. Mike. And we got Burgast and Russell left. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wait up, fellas. Sweet. Yo, how do we invite people? I've no idea, mate. This is all like some kind of new science to me. Yeah. Uh, here in Wales. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. Whoa. <laughs> what? No, it's, it's fine. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm trying to get that lower third working, because that was sweet. Yeah, I can, it I can nice. put in all my name and live from Deepest Darkest Wales. I've switched it on, but it's just not appearing. I don't know. I have a, I have a Mac, so... Things uh, it's all right, I'm going to hold it against you. So, uh, I recorded um, the next Dark Ages... Uh, installment today with Adrian. Yes. Uh, that was quite cool. We had a, a quick chat afterwards as well about the uh, the uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, basically talking about what Beckett was talking about in his post. Uh, how um, just touching touching on what we've played. Um, can't try to get a handle on what we've done. Uh, now that Beckett's here, perhaps I can do that with him as well. Um, oh, certainly. Uh, okay. So, have you played Kindred of the East? Uh, only very shortly. In all honesty, I'm kind of uh, the unlucky duck when it comes to World of Darkness. I have played any game line at all, a total of one session at a time. I've always okay. been the person who has to run it. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so have you played any Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom? Uh, no, but I have had one character in a Masquerade game that did play. Okay, cool. cool. Uh, werewolves are given... Vampires are given. How about Hunter, dude? Um, again, I've run it. I've never actually played myself. Aside from um, back in the early 2000s, there was two uh, video games for Hunter that came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got those. Um, uh, how about uh, Mage? Again, I've had characters play Mages. I've never actually run myself, or I've never played myself. Okay. Uh, Wraith. Uh, Wraith, I have not played. I've had NPC Wraith, though. Okay. Changeling. Uh, again, I've played a single session. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. And how about, like, Mummy? Uh, actually, I've never played or run Mummy. I almost okay. did, but never had the opportunity to actually play it. Uh, how about the old world, uh, sorry, uh, Vampire the Dark Ages? Uh, I've run that fairly frequently, actually. Uh, yeah. Nothing recent, but... 
back when I that think... first came out, it was was my game of choice, even above Masquerade. Oh yeah, I know it. I can feel the love there. <laughs> well, that was weird. My computer just asked me if I was still there. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was actually um, kind of curious. I've just uh, listened to, uh, I want to say, 2025, 20, Darkling 25, the Factions. Okay. And it's probably a little too late now, as you just said you've already finished recording. But I was curious if you might would have wanted to uh, change your focus a little bit to Elders and Allies rather than Elders. Just to kind of okay. stretch out a little more content. Oh, okay. Um, well, thanks for the feedback. Uh, that's really cool, dude. Um, we, 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 like I say, we, we finished recording today, so that shows pretty much in the bag. I know Adrian's going to be um, editing it tomorrow, I think he said. Mm. Um, uh, but that's something we can definitely add into the uh, storyteller section, definitely. I mean, we, we ran to about an hour 20, I think, just talking about elders. Just, you know, oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, uh, that's such a major part of uh, Vampire, though that really opens up for the first time in, in Dark Ages and allows you to explore it without it being a bit too... Do you know how, like, in the other books, they give you ways of, like, bolting on what always was, like, extra freebie points or extra experience for being old characters, and it never seemed quite right? Um, you know, Dark Ages for me was the first time it says, hey, why don't right, just start... I think start we're getting a new hangout here, just FYI. Okay, cool. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, we got Ian Watson. Hey everyone, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. Hi there. Now we just need to get Beckett and uh, and Steve back in here. Yeah, we're just waiting for them to join. Are they useless here? We got Michael Holland there. Who's typing something into chat? Was he yeah, typing hey or, or rolling D6s? <laughs> <laughs> um, so just waiting for at least two other people. Check it on Gmail, Gchat. Are you guys able to hear me? Yep. Yep. We can also hear your kids in the background playing with their something. blocks or something. I don't know. Oh, well, my uh, mic is pretty good then. <laughs> Hello. We didn't know that, that 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 channel was closing down, so we oh, right. oh, sorry. ourselves. Um, yeah, I was just kind of like, hey guys, I think we got a new chat, and then just immediately vanished. Yeah, sorry. Uh, me, me, me and Beckett don't really know how this uh, Google works. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've heard of that Google thing, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I hear a lot about it myself, I don't know what it is. So. Oh, just FYI, guys, I didn't stop recording. So all of this is on record. Awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> my, my comments about whales, I want you to delete. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> my oh. fellow countrymen have me hanged. Yo, Chris, I checked out Frankie Boyle, and that guy is just ridiculous. <laughs> Frankie Boyle is amazing. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, the shit he says, um, it was, uh, it got to a point where it was too much for the BBC to take, so he, um, was, uh, uh, kind of asked not to appear on, um, Mock the Week. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's great. His own TV series that he did at one point was a little too crazy, but it did have a, a really good version of Knight Rider where, 
Uh, Michael Knight was some uh, kind of crack addict and believed his car was talking to him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all funded with uh, taxpayers' money. Yay! Mm -hmm.